Welcome to the sermon series from Life Church Green Bay. It's our mission to bring the life-giving message of Jesus to the 920 and beyond. We're so glad you're here. If this is your first time joining us, we want to do life with you. While you're listening, fill out our hello card on our website so we can connect with you. Visit lifechurchgreenbay.com forward slash hello to fill it up. Make sure to check the I'm new here and online options while filling out the card. Again, we're so glad you're with us today. Here's this week's message. Well, good morning. Open your Bibles to the book of John chapter 8. John chapter 8, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one, just raise your hand real quick and we'd love to come and bring you one. It's our gift to you. Seriously, you can keep it. Or you can go to the Bible app or the version Bible and all the notes and scripture are going to be there. If you click on events in the more tab, everything will be there. If you are watching online, we are so glad that you're here. And I am so glad to be jumping in this new series called What's Your Story? Now, for some of you go, this isn't a new series. I've heard this series before. And, and it is true that I have the honor and the ability to resurface this series because this series made such a huge impact on our church and on our city to the point where our senior pastor, Pastor Sean, wrote a book about it. And you could get at the Welcome Center. And I, honestly, he, could, he would probably, if he was here, he'd be like, have it. Uh, he likes to give his books away. I'm like, you, you, you know, you put a lot of effort into this. He's like, nah, I just have it. Um, so what is, what's your story? What's your story? It's, it's your story. Because sometimes we need to revisit some things that have happened in our lives that we can move forward in and what God wants and desires for us. So stories, I mean, we all love good stories. Some of us, we, we grew up being, being read bedtime stories, which is fun as a dad, because I feel like as a dad, there's like two ways that you do a bedtime story and, and they can happen, you know, in like two different weeks. Like you could be the dad that like tells a bedtime story where you're like elaborate and you're acting and all these things and you're really happy and you're trying to give different voices and talking to, and then you're the dad who goes, uh, so Hansel and Gretel went to the lady's house and uh, they're fine. Uh, and <laughs> let's go to bed. I mean, we could be both people and, and some of us, maybe we grew up uh, being told stories from school. Um, my fourth grade teacher, Miss Nosel, which by the way, if you were watching Miss Nosel, I'm doing good. I'm still afraid of blood. Yeah, I still get, yeah, it still happens. I get sick. Uh, but she was so great at telling stories because she was the first person I saw that would say voices and she would have accents. She's also the first person I saw cry because of a story. And stories craft our culture. They shape our humanity and push us from our past to our future. And every story is defined by the five W's, the who, what, when, where, and why. Because how do we see our story? How do we see the who, the what, the when, and the where, and the how in our lives? And I wanna talk about that in the message I'm calling, your sin is your segue. Can we pray? Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to speak your word. Thank you, Lord, for this series that I think has impacted others' lives and many people's lives. But Lord, I feel you're not done with this because I think there's a story in all of us that people need to see. So be with this message. Be with these people. Lord, right now, actually, I want to lift up Ikaika Nagel. I pray right now, Lord, that where he is, Lord, that you be continue to do amazing things in his body and his life. Be with the doctors, be with the nurses. I know they can do only so much, but you can do anything. 
And so, Lord, we're praying over him. I also just pray for my, my good friend Antonio Cooper in Las Vegas, Lord, that you continue to do healings and moving in his life also. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So any good story has five essential elements. They have the protagonist, which is the main character or maybe the hero of the story. You have the antagonist, which is the villain, the inciting action. This is the event that moves the story. So maybe the plot of the story, the conflict, which is sometimes a quest or the mystery or something to overcome. And then the resolution, which is a shift on who wins in the conflict. And these are essential to great stories. And I think that's why we see critics will sometimes give a story a bad review because they'll say that, you know, one of these elements wasn't there or maybe it wasn't told well enough and it didn't carry the story well enough. And the reality is the Bible has these elements too. And I know that's hard for some of us to believe because we see the, build, uh, the Bible as something complex or complicated. Like for, for many of us, our Bible looks like this but we feel like it looks like this. It's like big, it's weighty. This is my grandma's Bible. Like when she passed away, they're like, you get it. And I'm like, okay, like, you know, and it's heavy and, and, and we look in this and, and, and it, for some of us, we don't see story. We just see rules and regulations and we can sometimes look at the Bible as something really holy and honorable. And I only did that to get Yard's reaction. I want to see if I was like, oh! <laughs> But the Bible is not just rules and regulation. It tells stories. Scripture is full of stories. And all good stories have good context. Which leads me to our story today in John chapter 8, starting in verse 1, that says this. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. It's very interesting if you look at that. The but, actually if you look in the NIV, the but is lowercase. Like it's interrupting a sentence. So, so to read the story in context, you have to go back to John chapter 7 and verse 53 where it says, then they all went home. It's just so interesting that a sentence is interrupted between two chapters. And I think they did that on purpose so that you would read it in context. So the question is, they went home. What did they go home from? Well, they went home because they all came together to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Last week, Pastor Alan talked about the, the, uh, the Feast of Pentecost, which, man, what a powerful service. Like, that was amazing. But the, the Feast of Tabernacles was this seven-day autumn celebration celebrating and honoring the 40-year pilgrimage of the Israelites in the desert. So, for seven days, priests would carry this silver pitcher. They would go down. Actually, they would, they would blow a shofar, the ram's horn. They'd blow that. They would take this silver pitcher and go to the pool of Siloam. And they would take the water from the pool of Siloam up to the temple. Now, Jerusalem's sole water supply was this pool and the, the Gihom springs that fed it. So therefore, this water was precious. It was a source of life and refreshment. And so doing this was a sacrifice so that God would bring water and get them out of the drought. So here we see them, they would take the water up and then they would be met by another priest who would have wine and they would mix the water and the wine together in these silver funnels. And when they would do this, it would be followed by some praise and some thanksgiving and singing and shouting. And then it would follow by silence because they say they wanted to listen to the wind 
which represented the Holy Spirit. Remember a couple weeks ago, I said that the word pneuma means spirit and pneuma means wind, breath, things which are commonly perceived as having no material substance. So they did this for seven days. So knowing all that, I want to jump to verse 37 of John chapter seven, because it says this on the last and greatest day of the festival, which would happen is so on the last day, they would put the silver pitcher away and they'd bring out a gold one because it's the last day. And they'd go to the water. They would do the thing one more time. They would shout, they would sing. And then they would have this silence to hear from the Holy Spirit. And it's so it, with that in context, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Remember, the water sacrifice was a symbolized that he would provide. And in the moments of saying, God provide, Jesus stands up and says, you don't need to go to the sacrifice. You need to come to me. And when you do, you'll never be thirsty again because living water will flow from within us. Again, the next scripture after that says that he's talking about the Holy Spirit, that he's preparing us to welcome in the Holy Spirit that will give us refreshing and life and, and a substance that will never thirst again. So knowing all that, Let's jump into John chapter eight, starting verse one. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such woman. Now, what do you say? They were using that question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. They kept questioning him and he straightened up and said, let anyone who is without sin be first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared, go now and leave your life of sin. So between John chapter seven, verse 37 and John eight, two, we see that celebration happened. Seven days of, of eating and drinking and getting merry. And it looks like some people ended up in the wrong tents. And the religious people bring this woman who's caught in adultery to Jesus. And here's the thing, they don't really actually care about the law because Deuteronomy 22.22 and Leviticus 20.10 say that the man and the woman must be present to deal equally. But they only bring the woman. Why? Because they didn't care about the law. Their only focus was trapping Jesus. And I've read this story so many times and I've, I've typically focused on certain aspects of the story. Like my original focus was on Jesus' responses. 
Like when he said, let anyone who is without sin be the first to throw the stone. I was like, yeah, Jesus, you tell them, man. You put them in their place. Or when he looked at the woman and said, neither do I condemn you. I, I, there's a moment going, oh man, thank you, Jesus, that you're not condemning me, that I'm not condemned. But now reading this scripture again, I don't actually focus on the responses as much as the posture. Because the scripture says two times, he stoops down and writes on the ground with his finger. And I know we should be looking at all scripture, like we should be studying it and we should be really reading it. But when some said twice, you should really focus on it. So I started studying this and upon studying this, scholars, they don't know what he wrote. I mean, some have theories. Maybe he was writing down some questions. Maybe he was listing their sins. Maybe he wrote down the name of the woman. But many agree what he was doing was fulfilling something written in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 17, 13, it says, Lord, you are the hope of Israel. All who forsake you will be put to shame. Those who turn away from you will be written in dust because they have forsaken the Lord, the spring of living water. Isn't it great to see things in context? Like, does it sound familiar? Because we read Jesus tell everyone that he, when you come to him, you'll thirst no more. So is it possible that he was writing the religious people's names because their focus was more on the rules than the relationship? That they came to him not for help, not for wisdom, but to trick him? And it says the religious people kept on questioning him. And I wonder if they believe there's only two solutions. Like the first solution is if he's lax towards the law, then he'll be condemned because he's, he's going against the law of Moses. But if he holds a strict line, then he's allowing them to prevail in the ungodly treatment because again, only the woman's there, not the man. And so therefore he would be in trouble with the Romans for he would be held responsible if the stoning proceeds. And not only that, I wonder what the woman thought of all this. I mean, she's standing there and she's thinking, I'm either gonna die with this guy or because of this guy. And I bet a lot of us can relate to that. Maybe a lot of us can say, there's no hope for me. That God has stooped down and looked away and I am too far gone and my sin is my story. And I am so glad that the story doesn't end there because Jesus doesn't stay stooped down. He straightens up and he gives a third option. He says, if you don't have sin, throw the stone. And I love how the scripture describes what happens next. It says, at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Why is this important? Because when it came to teachers of the law and Pharisees, the oldest would be considered the wisest. So for them, dropping it first would be their way of saying, I can't argue with this. And they would agree with what Paul said in Romans 3.23, for everyone has sinned. And we all fall short of God's glorious standard. And again, I'm thankful that the story doesn't end there. It doesn't end with us being told that we have no hope, that we have no future, that we've all sinned, we've all fallen short. There's no hope for me. But when the people leave, this gives Jesus the opportunity to put things back in order. Verse 10, it says, Jesus straightened up and asked her, woman, 
Where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you. Jesus declared. Declared. Meaning I'm not just saying it. I'm meaning it. Go now and leave your life of sin. If you're taking notes, there's two things to remember from this portion of scripture. One, he didn't condemn her. One of my favorite scriptures, many people's scriptures, if we would say, hey, is there a, a verse in the Bible you may have memorized? For a lot of us, it would be John 3, 16. For God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. But some of us actually don't know what John three seventeen means, which is just as powerful. And it says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So he didn't condemn her, but number two, he did correct her because he didn't want her to live in her sin. He didn't want her sin to be the sum of her story. He wanted her sin to be the segue for her story. And I wanna close with this. I remember reading this story for the first time and being like really kind of taken back because what I thought Jesus was asking the woman was an impossible task. Wait a minute, you just said to all the people if they haven't sinned to throw the first stone. They go, but now you tell her to go and live a life of sin no more? That's impossible. Is that even doable? But the whole point of this isn't based on what we can do. It's based on what he has done. And we have to stop walking in what I can do and start living in what he's done and what he's going to do in our lives. So there's two things to remember when walking in our story. Honestly, I think your story needs to have an origin. It needs to be at a place where you say, where did I give my life to Jesus? Where did I get to a place where I made Jesus the center of all? And for us to really walk in our story, you have to do these two things. You need to stop walking towards the sacrifices and start walking towards the source. Here's what I mean. We need to stop thinking we need to earn our salvation and accept that salvation has been given to us as a gift. Ephesians says it. God saved you by his grace when you believed, not when you earned, not when you worked, not when you did so many good things, when you just believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. When's the last time you were given a gift and you said, how much do I owe you? And if you did, don't do that anymore. It's, it's not nice. How much did this cost? Stop that. It's a gift. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done. So no one can boast about it. That's what I love about grace is he can look at someone whose life looks perfect and all together and someone whose life doesn't and says, you both get it. Because I don't care about what you've done because what you've done will always come short. But what he's going to do is going to change lives. So I'm not going to sacrifices anymore. I'm not going to condemnation. I'm not going to try to fix myself and fix things before going to the person who is the source of what I will be thirsty and hungry no more.
You have to understand that statement, that source is why I pray. It's why I read my Bible. It's why I worship, not so he'll love me, but because he loves me. I, that's why I worship, not so that he'll be happy with me, it's because of what he's done. Why I get loud and almost lose my voice. Because of what he's done, I make sure I get up and I read my word. It's because of what he's done that I never allow an opportunity to not to go to him for all things and believe he can do all things. It's because of what he's done. I read, the, uh, not read, I watched this story of a pastor uh, meeting a man. And a man comes to the pastor and he says, Pastor, do I need to stop smoking weed before I give my life to you? And the pastor says, no. So the man kind of looks at him and goes, mm, maybe he doesn't know what weed means. So he goes again, he goes, Pastor, do I need to stop smoking marijuana before I give my life to you? The pastor looks at him again and goes, no. Dude pulls out a joint, a fatty and says, Pastor, do I need to stop smoking this before I give my life to you? And he stops and goes, let me ask you a question. Do you clean yourself before you get in the shower? That's the reality of salvation. Jesus is saying, I don't need you to get yourself ready before coming to me. I need you to come to me and let me transform you. That's how your story will not just change your life, but others' lives. Because here's what I can tell you, when God transforms you, that's always when we bump into old people. That's always when we bump into people who know the stuff we used to do. Like, the, and, and it's, it's interesting because they're gonna go, what's different about you? Oh wait, you still smoking weed? <laughs> you're gonna know. Oh, oh, you're going to church now. You're doing the church thing. No, no, I'm not doing the church thing as much as the Jesus thing. But here's the thing, yeah, I'm gonna go to church. Not because it's gonna make me better, but because of what he's done. I, I, I can't do anything but praise him. I can't do anything but surround myself with believers who will help me and pray with me and make sure that I'm going from where I am to where God wants me to be. It's not a sacrifice anymore. I'm just going to the source and I'm welcoming him in to do what he needs to do. And here's what I love. When he tells the woman, go and do that, we don't get a response. So I believe that she did it, that she really walked it. Why? I know this isn't in my notes. I, I'm sorry, it was just a last minute thing. But John, Mark chapter 10, verses 21, 22 is, is Jesus is met with a rich young ruler and he says, what must I do to be saved? And he tells him a couple things. And the man says, I've done all those things. I do them every day. Verse 21 says, looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. I love that, felt genuine love love for him. Meaning sometimes God loves you so much that he's going to tell you stuff that you don't want to hear. There's still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this man fell and went away sad for he had many possessions. See, he told the man to do something that was impossible and he didn't do it. And there's nothing wrong with having possessions, but if possessions have control over you and, he, and, and possessions is the source of your life and not Jesus, then Jesus is gonna go, you need to get rid of that. Now, for some of us, money may not be the source, but there are sources in our life that Jesus says, hey, give me that and let me transform you. So I believe the woman left that life of sin. She left that life of walking in other tents. 
because, not because she wanted to make Jesus happy, but because she was with Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm not gonna condemn you, but I love you enough to know that your story isn't your sin, but this sin will be the segue to success in your life. Can I pray with you? So God wants salvation to be a part of our story. And salvation is where we believe that Jesus came. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and he took every bruised and beaten body, all of it. He didn't just go to the cross. He was beaten and, 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 and whipped before going to the cross. But here's what I love. He didn't stay on the cross and he didn't stay dead. It says that he defeated death and he did all that. Not so that we would cry and, and feel sorry, but he said, I'm, I overcame death so that you can be a new person. He understood that sin separated us from God. So his sacrifice became the ultimate sacrifice. And so salvation is welcoming that, but also welcoming him to be our Lord and savior. So with everyone's head bowed, and why do I do that? Because I want you to have a one-on-one -on -one moment with God. In a moment, we're gonna do one of two things. The first thing is this, if you're here and you're saying, you know, I believe in Jesus, but I've never done any of that stuff. I've never made him my Lord and Savior. Lord, meaning I've never given him control. I've never allowed him to be the center of my life. And, I'm, and I wanna give him control and Savior, meaning that I'm not gonna be bound by my sin and shame anymore. And, and I'm gonna walk in what he's covered me in. That because of his sacrifice, I am healed. Because of, 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 of his pouring of his blood, God does not see my sin, but he sees Jesus. So I'm not bound by my sin anymore because of him. In a moment, we're gonna do one of two things. If that's you, I'm just gonna have you in a moment, look at me, raise your hand. Why do, I, why do we do that? Because when you're publicly declaring it, when, you're, when you are, you're speaking it out, it's the first step. And then we're just gonna say a simple prayer together. Nothing too fancy, but just when you believe it from your heart, God's saying, I'm gonna make you a new creation. So if that's you, You've never done that and you wanna do that right now. Can I just have you lift up your hands, look at me real quick. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Awesome. Wonderful, love it. Church, can we say this prayer together? Say, Jesus, thank you for what you did on the cross for me. I give you my life all of it, to do whatever you need to do. I welcome you to be my Lord and to be my Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. If you made that decision, we wanna help you. We know this is just the first step on what we call our Jesus journey. So if you could just scan the QR code, you're gonna see it in your, uh, on the floor in the front seat pocket, but you could probably scan this one here. We'd love for you to scan and fill out as much information you're comfortable with and then check the box saying, I'm choosing to follow Jesus because we wanna connect with you and help you go from where you are to where God wants you to be. We wanna get you a Bible. So if you didn't raise your hand, you want a Bible, grab one on your way out. In fact, go to the Welcome Center. We have devo devotions there. And devotions are great because what it is is just getting a scripture and a story. And for some of you guys, you've been doing that forever and I think that's awesome. And now God's saying, now put your Bible and the devotion together and find where the scripture is. Prayer, we want you to start praying. Meaning being honest, being real, being yourself with God, going to God with all things and believing he can do all things. Start praying in faith. Start really just going to him 
all the time, not just when you're worried, not when you're stressed, but when you're thankful and you're happy and things are going great. He wants to have a communication relationship with you. And also he wants you to get involved in the church. And we always say this at Life Church, we're a church for anybody, but not everybody. So if this isn't for you, or maybe you just don't live around here, you gotta find a church that works. You gotta get in a community of believers who are gonna help you, they're gonna challenge you. And so if you are, if this is your church and you're going, I'm not in a community, I need you to go to our Exchange Lounge because they wanna connect with you and help you. Start getting in the community, start being a part of what we're doing here at Life Church. Can I pray with you one more time? Maybe you're here and you're saying, you know what, I am a Jesus person, but man, I've focused too much on what I've done and not lived in what he's done. I'm allowing my sin and my past and my shame to keep me from walking in the testimony that God has for me. But I know that my story can be an impact for others and I wanna start walking in it. If that's you, can I have you raise your hand real quick? I wanna pray with you. Lord, thank you so much for all these hands who are lifted up and saying, I'm not walking in sin and shame anymore, but I'm walking in forgiveness and healing and the new life that you've given to me. And I'm no longer going to be bound by my past, but I'm going to be alive in you because my sin isn't my sum, but it's my segue to success in you. I'm making you the center of all things from here on out. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us this week. Still thinking about the message? Go follow our message recap podcast, Chew on That. The Chew on That podcast is a podcast where Life Church staff chew over the latest messages to dig deeper into our faith. Tap the link in the episode description to have a listen. Hey, thanks for listening to this episode. We'll see you next week.